12 years have passed since childhood friends Claire and Irene have seen each other. Their paths cross at a rooftop establishment. While catching up, Claire realizes how much she misses life with friends from the past. Will Claire's renewed interest influence Irene's future? The author, Nella Larson. The book, Passing. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Let's get lit. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and some drama. Yeah. How are you, Kari? I'm good. How are you? Well, I am doing well. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> this is our last video podcast of for the season. season. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So if you want to okay. see our faces, go to YouTube. It's your last chance this year. This is mm-hmm. it. This is it. Wow. I mean, this year is just moving right along. It's too it? quickly. Yes. Yeah, it's insane. already November. Mm-hmm. Tell me you did something fun in October. How about that? Uh, yeah. It was At least fun. I hung out with week. you a bunch. It was fun. You are coming out of your show. I am trying. I am trying because <laughs> they're going to be expectations on me next year. And I want to be prepared for those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we went to H Mart. We didn't cry, yep. but we got a lot of goodies. Um, goodies. Yeah. Yeah. Just been hanging out in the city. Regular stuff. Yeah. What about yeah. you? Anything else? No, nothing <laughs> fun. Um, I. Oh, you know what? I had a chance to stay in a. um a local hotel in the city and just kind of hang out for a in day. In the suburbs. No, in the city. In the city. Oh, you did? It's in Wicker Park. Yeah. Oh, it was I think really I know nice. your life. What hotel? The Robbie. Oh, I've been wanting to stay there. How was it? Yeah, I it was fantastic. I look forward to it. Oh, I loved it. I mean, oh, I, I was looking forward <laughs> to it. And okay. And it'll, it's, yeah. It met your expectations. It met my expectations. Yes, <laughs> I was really excited good. to enjoy it. So anyway, that was a thing. That, that's how <laughs> I rounded out the season. It was a celebration. I love Wicker Park. It's kind of changing rapidly. It's not what it was when I was a baby running around there, but it's still fun. <laughs> it's still a lot of good stuff. I think um, ooh, one of our favorite bookstores, Semicolon, the only black woman owned bookstore in Chicago is now in Wicker Park. Mm-hmm. They yes, moved it from, is. I think, like River West or something. So, yeah, it's a lot of reasons to hang out over there. So cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just go ahead and jump into our theme of the week? What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we are reading. So let me start by saying I know we're jumping in, we're in fall and we're jumping into winter, but oh, man. June is the beginning of the summer season, right? Kari, what are some of your, well, excuse me, Kari, what is your favorite summer pastime pre-COVID? 
Oh, pre-COVID? Well, I'm like doing regular stuff now. So the beach. I really like the beach, uh, hanging out, playing volleyball, hanging out with friends. Um, A nice rooftop is always fun and Chicago's full of them. Um, And just hanging out, you know, outside, breathing fresh air. That's always good. Touching grass. Yeah. And I like your, I think it was your last one, um, the rooftops. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Our theme this week is the origin of rooftops and the most popular rooftops around the U.S. So let's dig in. In the book, the two women meet at a rooftop. And so I was like, dang, rooftops been around for a long time? (laughs) So there was a rooftop boom in Chicago, maybe five, six, seven Eight years in the last ago. decade. Yeah, definitely yeah. in the last decade. And everyone needed a rooftop. If you if your roof was trash and it's full of rats, put a chair up there. It's a rooftop. <laughs> it's a rooftop. <laughs> so, folks was making you crawl through corridors to get to their rooftop. Um, yeah. So, no, I understand why it feels like, man, rooftops was, you know, around in the 20s or whatever. Um, yeah. And this one, this one in the book is like modeled after the Drake Hotel, which doesn't have a rooftop, but has a fabulous tea afternoon yeah. tea service. Mm-hmm. So have we done that together? We haven't. But I remember when you did um, have one with a bunch of friends and um, I it's one of my favorite that. things to do. Tea at the Drake. Yeah. 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 So we got to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely got to do that. But before people were dining on the rooftop, they were hanging wet laundry up there. So, you know, <laughs> things have changed because we yeah. eating up there now and drinking. <laughs> Like you said, over the past decade, uh, rooftops, dining, entertainment has been in vogue. It's a thing to do. Everybody's got to have one. So I found a couple of articles. One, Restauranting Through History by Jane Whitaker and another article by Bloomberg, The Surprising Short History of the Rooftop Happy Hour. Now, they say short history and they mean short history. Um, Kari, can you guess how far back rooftop dining goes? The 90s. Actually, they jumped back to 1879. <laughs> That's only sure. like a hundred. You set me up. <laughs> <I know>. But yeah. <laughs> That's like 140 years. That's not that long ago. Right? Okay. Yeah, it's sure. not. <laughs> I think it was like 30 states. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so most outdoor rooftops opened at the beginning of June, just like they do here. And um, they were advertising at the time, cool breezes. Can you guess why they were advertising that, Kari? Because air conditioning wasn't popular. And so if you yes. wanted to get a cool breeze, you had to go to the roof. Exactly. Cool yeah, because Europe's still living like that. Contemporize, <laughs> y'all. How come Europe ain't got no air conditioning? I don't care if it's bad for you in the environment. It feels good. It feels Get air really conditioning good. in Europe. It feels really good. <laughs> it feels really good. So the one of the earliest rooftops is was in St. Louis. There was a restaurant owner named Tony Faust, and he created a terrace that was adorned with box shrubs and flowers and lit gaslights at light by gaslight. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it didn't have like spectacular views because it was a low rooftop. Um, 
but it was a cafe and oyster house on the roof. And it was like a little garden. I think that would have been cool. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. And he was catering to the after theater audience. The rooftop was eliminated at the oyster um, bar when he added a second story. So he moved on from that. Okay. He was growing. Mm In the 1880s, a New York musician, musician named Rudolf Arnelson went to Europe and he saw urban gardens where springtime audiences gathered to enjoy music and theatrical performances. He returned to New York determined to recreate one in his own image. Well, space in Manhattan was Uh, you know, expensive as it is still today. Mm -hmm. So he decided to install a traditional street level garden on a roof. And it was a newly built building. And I believe it was his. It was called the Casino Theater on Broadway. And of course, as I mentioned, there's no air conditioning um, theaters were stifling and they were inhospitable during the summertime. So he created a comfortable stage for operettas, for musicals, for concerts on his roof. And that kind of helped it spread throughout the New York area. People started building um, rooftops through the 1890s. Um, They were adding rooftops on top of all kinds of buildings, but they were primarily for drinking, for dancing and listening to music. Music. Dining would come later. So with that little bit of history, why don't we identify some popping rooftops uh, stops in the U.S. according to Time Out's March 2021 article. It's going to be all timeout markets. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Probably, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, guess how many times Chicago made the list? Oh, three. Two. Very close. Very close. All right. So number one is in Miami. It's called Sugar. Have you heard of it, Kari? I've been there. (laughs) <laughs> ah, okay. I think you've been, you been to a couple of them, so <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> what do you remember about Sugar's it? Sugar's funny. Uh, it's packed. You do have to like wait to get to the roof, which is common because it's so tight. And it might be an expansive roof, but it's always full of people. So I know when we we were there, it was like outside, but it felt inside because there was it was so claustrophobic, ironically, on the roof. Oh. Oh, and wow. the music's, uh, you know, like loud. It's like trying to be mm, like a really happening lounge or whatever. But in Chicago, like we got that for real. And it's a vibe. This wasn't really a vibe. Too many oh. transients to me. It didn't have like a yeah. culture. It didn't feel like it had a culture. So, uh, you know, my husband and I found a corner that was for the wait staff and like made it our own personal bar. We like took plants <laughs> from around the roof and like set it up in this corner of the roof and had our drinks and stuff brought just to this service area. And that oh, was cool. Wow. But it's tight. It's tight in sugar. And, you know, it's a lot of to do to get up there. So you wait in okay. line um, unless you have a spot already. And then you you're all sectioned off to an elevator. And yeah, it's a lot of to do. 
I don't know. Okay. Well, it made a couple of lists. So people think it's a great spot to be. Another and Miami actually hit the list twice. So I'm going to go and just jump on that one too. Wonder, have you been to this one? Area 31 Epic Hotel. Mm-mm. No, I've never even heard of it. Okay. So that one has got like views and great seafood. That's the thing about the epic mm. one. Okay. okay. And that made it to number 10 on the list. Um, let's jump back to number two. Number two, Washington, D.C. Top of the gate. Heard of it? Been there? Nope. Okay. So this is atop the uh, historic Watergate Hotel. That's why it's called Top of the Gate. (laughs) Anyway, it's got great views, 360 views of the city. Um, You can see the biggest attractions, um, the Pentagon, the Washington Monument, and the Potomac River. Um, Have you been to D.C.? I have. I've been to D.C. twice, but not... The first time I went, I was taking care of my niece. The second time I went, I was working. So, so you weren't no having really fun. Time. Right. We should go. Hey, if y'all yeah. live in D.C. and you listen to this show and you think we should have a live show there, let us know. Because yeah, that sounds yeah. like a good time. Um, I would love to go to Smithsonian and Georgetown oh. and just hang out in the city. Yeah, those things I did when I was there and I had the I enjoyed that so much at the best Have some time. Mamba sauce. You know, Mamba mm. sauce, they love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so DC made it twice. So they have another place and they made the list at number 7 and it's called POV. It, it they're say if you're on this rooftop, you can see the White House. And you can even see, if you got good eyes, a view of the Secret Service on top of the White House, the (laughs) Treasury, as well as the Washington Monument. And they have stadium style seating atop that um, place. Um, A third one is Mama Shelter. It's a hotel and restaurant in Los Angeles. Um, There you can enjoy a DJ or movies on an outdoor screen. They even have foosball, yoga, and a f- views of Hollywood. Okay, Kari. Rooftop Go movies ahead. used to be a thing in Chicago. That was a good time. I wonder if they'll bring that back. Go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I remember right? that. We went to, was it The Wit? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, The Wit used to have a, like a series, a movie series. It was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Actually, The Wit, it's not on this list, but it made one of, the list that I saw of rooftops, 10 rooftops in the world top. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause when you're drinking cocktails and you're watching Jurassic park on a huge screen at night, it's scary for real. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fine. Okay. So here is the first of our Chicago locations. And Kari, I'm sure you know this as a city blogger. Which which uh, rooftop do you think it would be? I think it's Cindy's. Absolutely. <laughs> Cindy's made this list. In fact, it made another list that I saw as well. And it's on top of Chicago's Athletic Association Hotel. What can you tell me about uh, Cindy's that stands out to you? So I will tell you, um, people, some people love the CAA, others don't. The Chicago Athletic Association Hotel is a very 
Um, it's like a fun house for adults to me. You have great burgers um, downstairs. You have um, these like cafes hidden throughout uh, the drawing room. It's just a great place to work, read, hang out. That's on the second floor. And then you have the milk room, which is like an eight person bar, eight oh. people and the bartender. Um, oh, nice. And that is uh, one of my favorite spots. Very cool. That requires a ticket, which you can get on talk, I think. Um, oh. But then when you get all the way up to Cindy's, that rooftop is beautiful. But the outdoor part of it is about three feet by five feet. <laughs> it is really <laughs> tiny. It is. And people love it because you can see the Jay Pritzker um, uh, State oh, right. Theater. Yeah. You can yeah. see the Bean or what is it? Cloud Gate. Um, you can see Millennium Park from it and it's an awesome view and Maggie yeah. Daly uh, Park also. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for a great view of the city, that very small to me uh, rooftop is a great deal of fun. But the like largest rooftop in the world is in Chicago. Did you know that? Really? I don't know if it's the very largest, but it is in the ho- in the Guinness Book of World Records. And that's at Navy Pier. And you still can't make me go to Navy Pier. <laughs> but, Dang. But, but yeah, that's that's that. Mm-hmm. Navy Pier? Yeah, girl. And if y'all don't know anything about Chicago, Navy Pier is like the tourist trap, right? It's yep. just a place tourists go to spend money on things they won't want when they get home. Yep. And it has yep. a Ferris wheel. <laughs> oh, and they have a, they updated the Ferris wheel too a couple years ago, a few years yeah. back. So it's even larger. But for Cindy's, the food is also great. So it's a great vibe. We've been there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the um, downstairs. They have like a a billiards room. That's right. Yeah, like a that, game room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That was pretty cool to me. Okay, so I'm just going to jump to the other Chicago location. I don't know. um, This wasn't familiar to me, but it may be familiar to you. It is the second spot on our list and it is open year round and it is in Lincoln Park. Jay Pritzker. I mean, not Jay Pritzker. um, Jay Parker. Yes, Jay Parker (laughs) made the list. It is um, number six. It's got great views of the cities. And like I mentioned, it's open year round. So we have been there. Oh, we have? You you, you have been there. (laughs) Okay. I was like, this doesn't sound familiar to me. (laughs) But good. As long as you say I have, then that's fine. Yeah, it's on top of the Lincoln Hotel. And oh, for real, yeah. Yeah, you've been. Yeah. OK, you remember now. <laughs> I was like, I don't know that name. It don't sound familiar. Yeah. But Lincoln Hotel does. Yeah. OK, so the fifth one, we're going to backtrack to number five and it's in Boston. It's called The Lookout and it's on top of the Envoy Hotel. They say it has a great skyline, sunset views, and it's got the long waits up the elevator as a lot yeah. of these places do. So we'll jump down to eight because we hit seven and number eight is in Seattle, Washington, and it's called Frock. It's a uh, um, kitchen and cocktails, it says. And their spot is on the fifth floor of the Motif Hotel and they have shuffleboard and ping pong available. And then I don't think I mentioned this one, but this is another Los Angeles one. And it's called the High Rooftop Lounge and it's atop the 
Hotel Irwin and it has sunset views. They give you blankets. I don't know if they still do that with COVID, but they give you blankets and it's got um, they have spiked cocoa and hot toddies. I say that's pretty In LA. Impressive. LA just be yeah. doing stuff to do it. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and the third LA um, rooftop that's on the list is El Te- Techo de lo Linda. El Perfect Techo. pronunciation. Yes. Okay, cool. Yay. <laughs> Have you been there? It's an no. open air rooftop and it has, um, even though it's open air, it, it has a border. It's bordered by glass walls. So that's pretty cool. And they say the food is special. Um, then our, no, I think I got a couple more. Then Nashville has one and it's called Acme Feed and Seed. Doesn't sound enticing, I got to say. Okay, doesn't sound like someplace <laughs> I want to be, but it is called that. And it has 360 views, degree views of downtown and they play live music every night. That sounds cool, though. And then Portland, Oregon has a place called The Departure in the Nines Hotel. And they have a Top Chef finalist that's making the food on their rooftop, which is pretty cool. Um, And they've got unparalleled views, it says. And then here's one for our British visitors into Minnesota. Okay, there's Mm. a British um, it's called Brits Pub and Eating Establishment. And if you are in Minneapolis, stop by and you can tell us all about it when you get there. (laughs) They say you can gawk at lawn bowlers. Okay, in the pub's English Garden Park from the second story veranda where you can enjoy your favorite British eats like guess what? Scotch eggs and tandoori chicken. Have you had a Have you had a Scotch egg before? No. I know they're not is it English? It's nasty. (laughs) I didn't I didn't say that. That's why they was creating all them wars in the past and colonizing because they wanted some seasoning. (laughs) That's a fact. Look up India. Mm-hmm. They said, what heard. is this? And the Indians was like, um, salt? <laughs> uh, uh, pepper? So you used the salt and pepper at the same time? They was blown away. They said, I got an idea. We own this now. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, can't run from the truth, but... <laughs> Listen, number 15, (laughs) number 15 in our final spot is Linger. And this rooftop is in Denver. I think I said that. Um, And it connects downtown Denver with the Lowell High neighborhood. And they have a a 1975 RV, which they call a bar V, that serves (laughs) frozen Mai Tais and global street food. So that's our list from Time Out. And it is... The top 15 rooftops in the U.S. Stop by them in the warmer months, okay? Um, And let us know your favorite rooftops to go and if there's some in your area in the cooler months. I love the way you came up with this theme. I love the way you came up with this theme just to taunt us as we entered the dead of winter. (laughs) (laughs) However, at least in Chicago, a lot of these rooftops do have heating. Some of them mm-hmm. are enclosed in glass. Yeah. Um, so Cindy's and the whip, 
They both have enclosed sections. Jay uh, Parker also. Yeah. Very small, but they, they it got it. So, uh, yeah, sounds good. And I heard a lot of places we need to go when we start touring. Yeah, it sounds fun, right? Okay, yep. readers, don't forget, share us your favorite rooftop so we can prepare for next season. You got to plan ahead, so you might as well That's tell right. us now, right? Okay, share it with us. Why don't we take a quick break before we jump into our author and context? Okay, let's do it. Are you ready to give us some background on Nella Larson and her inspiration for passing? Sure. Nella Larson was born Nellie Walker, April 13th, 1891 in Chicago. Her mother was a Danish immigrant and her dad was like Afro uh, Latino. I think he was Caribbean. Um, the father eventually left the family and the mother married another Danish, Danish immigrant and then they two had a child together. So this oh. is interesting because in her family, Nella was the only person of color. Mm. And the family did sometimes face discrimination, all of them, um, because they had a colored daughter and because people were so ignorant and evil. Um, so... That's that. One author said of Larson, as a member of a white immigrant family, she had no entree into the world of the blues or of the black church. If she could never be white like her mother and sister and stepfather, neither could she ever be black in quite the same way that Langston Hughes and his characters were black. Hers was another world, unrecognizable historically and too painful to dredge up. I thought that was very interesting. So she was. And it seems like her family did treat her with love and care, but she was an outsider in a way because of uh, cultural implications and the way uh, race uh, and because of the way her race is treated in this country. And then everywhere she went, that kind of irony followed her. So um, in 1914, she enrolled in nursing school in New York City um, and worked in a nursing home that was supposed to be, I think, for uh, black people. But it ended up most of the patients were white. And then um, because it was a hospital attached and then um, most of the patients in the nursing home were black. Upon graduating in 1915, Larson went south to work at the Tuskegee Institute in Tuskegee, Alabama, where she became head nurse at its hospital and training school. Um, She draws from her medical background and passing to create the character Brian. Um, And Brian in this book is a doctor. He's one of the main characters. Larson describes Brian as being ambivalent about his work in the medical field. Um, Brian's character may also be partially modeled on Larson's ex-husband, Elmer Imes, who was a physicist. So let's talk about it. In 1919, Larson married Imes, who was a prominent colored physicist. He was the second African-American to earn a PhD in physics. After her marriage, she sometimes used the name Nella Larson in her writing. A year after her marriage, she published her first short stories. So this marriage perhaps gave her the freedom to delve into writing, which is a risky career at like any time. Um, But she could take a break from medicine to do that. And she did. Um, And as this book is evidence of, she was an amazing writer. So the couple moved to Harlem in the 1920s, where her marriage 
and life uh, like con- contradicted each other because her husband was like upper class black and she was considered like immigrant trash. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah. Wow. So everyone had their hangups and wherever she went in life, she had to deal with someone and their issues um, because Good of race. Grief. Uh, some one writer says she and her husband knew that the NAACP, she they knew the NAACP le- leadership, which include W.E. Du Bois, who we know really mm-hmm. liked them light and bright. Mm-hmm. Walter White, James Weldon Johnson. However, because of her low birth and mixed parentage and because she did not have a college degree, Larson was alienated from the black middle class. Wow. whose Members emphasized college and family ties. Black fraternities and sororities, that was the thing. So she wasn't a part of any of that. Um, so she was ostracized um, cult- is, um, socially. So is this kind of where caste falls? Is She's not in the right yeah, caste, well, essentially? Well, no, because her caste is dictated by her race. So she is in the same caste. However, she is of a different class because she doesn't have right. that uh, old Black money <laughs> and connections. Wow, that's yeah. wild. Just yep. when you think you should win, you don't win. Mm-hmm. And she's a woman. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's got to deal with a lot. Uh, she returned to New York in 1937 when her divorce was completed. Her husband did indeed have an extramarital affair. Their marriage was dissolved. She lived on alimony and went back to medicine, which a lot of people even today see as a cop out. Like it was the safe thing to do. Mm. Um, they're angry that she didn't write more. <laughs> uh. um, but who knows what her situation was? And and history kind of uh, forgets her in a way too. Some assume that she actually indeed indeed did begin passing um, because there's not much heard of her. Um, So perhaps she did. And she may have worked as a white nurse in America until her death. And she died in Brooklyn in 1964 at the age of 72. Did you have anything about Nella? Uh, One of the interesting things that I saw about her is that this, um, her writings, um, her literary works are based loosely off of her life during the Harlem Renaissance. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, what better inspiration? That makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that tidbit. Um, why don't we hear a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive? Show thing. One woman finds her past sitting across a room and against her better judgment, she starts down a path that goes against everything she is and ever has been. In the end, she will find rest and security only through the sacrifice of another. Mm. Alexis, what did you think what were your first thoughts of passing by Nella Larson? Well, you know, when you first told me that we were reading this book, I didn't know um, which passing, what passing, I mean, just the title. It did not immediately connect to me that this was racial passing. Mm. Um, so, but of course I got that I'm pretty much right away. The book grabs you right away. And so I felt good and ready to read it, looking mm-hmm. for something exciting after, um, um, still trying to get the taste out of my mouth of one of our recent books that wasn't okay. that great. So Wow. <laughs> Shout out to Clara <laughs> and the Sun. I don't think it deserves that ire. Um, Whatever, Kari, okay. <laughs> how, how about you? 
How about you? What do you think um, would enjoy reading this book? Um, so a book that comes to mind is The Wedding by Dorothy West. These books um, take bits and pieces of the same subject regarding class, social standing and race. But they're two very different books. However, the writing is so thorough and layered. I think if you really love The Wedding, you'll really love Passing by Nella Larson. And they're both um, both of those authors are from the same time period, right? That's right. They're both Renaissance, Harlem Renaissance women. Writers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's pretty exciting. So are you ready to jump into this spoiler field deep dive for passing? I am. We are going to dive into the plot of passing by Nella Larson, and we are going to give everything away. So if you haven't read this very short read, perhaps pause here, go read it, take an hour or two and come on back. We'll be waiting <laughs> for you. So let's begin. Part one, old friends in new places. Let's talk about Claire Kennedy. That's right, Claire. We're going to start with her. A woman that is almost too beautiful with dark eyes and darker hair. She has a way of laughing that is melodious. Divinely gifted is she with charm and appeal. Irresistible. Claire grew up without a mother as hers died when Claire was very young. Her father was a drunk and given to angry fits. Claire would spend her days like quietly about her business, sometimes sewing dresses, while her father would simultaneously throw himself across the room, all fists and anger. Sometimes his blows would miss her. Sometimes they wouldn't. And a scene is described where she's sitting on the couch sewing a dress and her father's really angry with her because she works for this woman cleaning and she earns a dollar a week and she's supposed to give that dollar to him. Well, she decided to buy a dress for the dance and she knew what would come with all that, but she was going to have her way because Claire was very having come what consequences may come. She was going to get what she wanted, even as a young child. So one afternoon, Claire found herself sobbing uncontrollably as her father lay dead before her. He was killed in a stupid bar fight. Now let's meet Irene Redfield. So Irene, like Claire, is beautiful. But unlike Claire, Irene is subdued. She grew up with people who were outwardly in control of their emotions. Today, Irene is in a happily... Uh, you know, she's happily married, quote unquote, to a beautiful caramel colored man named Brian. They have two boys together. Brian is a doctor, a war vet. And Irene wants nothing more than to live a quiet, uneventful life with her family. That's her goal in life is to be quiet and still. regular schmegler. Uh, That's what she would like to be. She still don't want to be regular. <laughs> it seems like she still wants to be upper class regular. Yeah, upper right. class so, regular schmegler. That you're right. So <laughs> both Irene and Claire are Black American women. Both could pass for white American women. One has chosen to live her life as a white woman. This choice is called passing. The encounter. One particularly hot afternoon in Chicago where Irene is visiting. She uh, visits the rooftop of a hotel that's similar to the Drake Hotel for some refreshment from the sun. Irene sits down and orders tea in the beautiful atmosphere that is exclusively reserved for white patrons. Mm -hmm. Of course, no one knows Irene is in white and she is happy to step outside of herself for a moment to experience this pleasure. 
But then a woman stares at her from across the room. Unashamed, she stares. And Irene wonders, can that woman know that she is looking at a colored woman? At a Negro? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) She says, white people are often so stupid about such things. No way. No way does this woman. But the woman continues to stare. Will Irene be rejected? I mean, ejected from this property in front of everyone. And so now she's kind of nervous. The woman continues to stare. Yeah, it's that uncomfortable stare. You ever had somebody stare at you like that? Yeah, and I I love this scene because Irene gets the courage to stare back. You're going to look at me, I'm going to look at you. But then Mm -hmm. the woman keeps staring and then she because Irene was like, well, I didn't want to really, I don't want to fight you. Let me look away. And then she looks away, she looks back and the woman's still looking. It's too much. It's too much. And then (laughs) then the woman walks over to Irene's table. Pardon me, the woman said pleasantly, but I think I know you. Her slightly husky voice held a dubious note. Looking up at her, Irene's suspicions and fears vanished. There was no mistake in the friendliness of that smile or resisting its charm. Instantly, she surrendered to it and smiled too, as she said, I'm afraid you're mistaken. Why, of course I know you the other exclaimed don't tell me you're not Irene Westover or do they still call you Reenie in the brief second before her answer Irene tried vainly to recall where and when this woman could have known her there in Chicago and before her marriage that much was plain high school college YWCA committees high school most likely What white girls has she known well enough to have been familiarly addressed as Rini by them? The woman before her didn't fit her memory of any of them. Who was she? Yes, I'm Irene Westover. And though nobody calls me Rini anymore, it's good to hear the name again. And you? She hesitated, ashamed that she could not remember and hoping that the sentence would be finished for her. Don't you know me? Not really, Rini? I'm sorry, but just at the minute, I can't seem to place you. Irene studied the lovely creature standing beside her for some clue of her identity. Where and when had they met? And through her perplexity, there came the thought that the trick which her memory had played her was for some reason more gratifying than disappointing to her old acquaintance that she didn't mind not being recognized. And two, Irene felt that she was just about to remember her, for about the woman was some quality, an intangible something too vague to define, too remote to seize, but which was, to Irene Redfield, very familiar. And that voice, surely she'd heard those husky tones somewhere before. Perhaps before time, contact or something had been at them, making them into a voice remotely suggesting England. Ah, could it have been in Europe that they had met? Rini, no. Perhaps, Irene began, you, the woman laughed. A lovely laugh, a small sequence of notes, 
that was like a trill and also like the ringing of a delicate bell fashioned of a precious metal, a tinkling. Irene drew a quick, sharp breath. Claire, she exclaimed. Not really Claire, Kendry. Irene's thoughts began racing. After Claire's father died, Claire disappeared from their community, living with some family no one knew. Um, it was her. It was Claire's family, but no one in the community knew them, to be clear. Then there were the rumors. Claire being seen over town with white people, with white men. Irene's mom used to say that Claire always had a having way about her. Mm, so the women be... <laughs> The women begin catching up. Claire is delicate, charismatic. She knows what everyone from the old neighborhood was saying about her. For over an hour, they talked, caught up with Irene doing most of the talking. And when it was time to part, Irene had a thought. Claire had very little to say about herself. Also, Claire was too good looking. (laughs) This is Irene's (laughs) thought. Just a little too much. Claire is hungry to know more and she wants to meet Irene again. Against her better judgment, Irene invites Claire to an event where she would see everyone she grew up with. Claire re- regrets the invitation as soon as she gives it. Unfortunately, <laughs> she like just wants to say something to show she was like brought up well. Oh, you want to come to this party? I hope you can't. Unfortunately, <laughs> Claire can't. <laughs> so Irene's like, whew, great. Maybe I'll never see you again in my life. Before they separate, Irene inquires how Claire has been passing for all these years. And Claire explained it in a very interesting way. So when we talk about passing, we um, usually talk about people who were close to their black family, but decided to basically sometimes never see them again in order to live as a white person in America for the sake of Perhaps uh, their lives, maybe they needed a career to support themselves. And because they could pass, they did, but they gave up a lot. It was a lot of sacrifice. However, with Nella Larson and um, now with Claire in this book, we have a different situation. When Claire's father died, Claire went to live with her aunts. They were they passing too? Irene said no, responds Claire. They were white. So she, her father died, who was mixed race, and she went to live with his white family. When they accepted her in their home, they treated her like a maid, like she did all the cooking, cleaning and domestic duties as they assumed was appropriate for her race. So she was like Cinderella up in there. Mm -hmm. When a wealthy boy from school showed up in the neighborhood ready to marry her, there was no one to tell him she was black, although she everybody knew they just didn't mention it. It was like, whatever. This the little black baby. Everybody know that. So when he came looking to marry her, it was like, okay, fine. (laughs) We ain't going to take you aside and explain it to you. And also Claire wanted to make sure that didn't happen. She didn't want her aunties to like get some conscious or something and be like, oh, no, I don't want that white boy to marry this black girl, this negress. But they wouldn't. They were very religious people and they really didn't have any hangups about that. But just to be safe, you're right. um, She didn't want them to have. Mm -hmm. She rushed the marriage. So they married and Claire abandoned her white family to start this new family and form new relationships forever. She was like, fine, leaving them ladies who were never. I mean, she was grateful that they gave her a life, but they treated her like a servant. So she was Mm -hmm. fine leaving them for all time. Um, So 
it seemed now that she was also forever separated from her black roots that would have been connected to her father and mother who are now dead. She's now married to that boy. He's an international banking agent. He's a man. And they have one daughter together who lives in boarding school. You said he's a man. <laughs> yeah, because I kept saying boy, you know, but. Oh, uh, so <laughs> I may never see you again. Claire says I may never see you. And I just can't imagine it. I hate this idea. I mean, what are the chances we'd run into each other in Chicago? You don't even live in Chicago. Please visit my home next Tuesday. They separate. And Irene knows one thing. She will not be visiting next Tuesday. She is through with Claire Kendry. Part two. Pass. The tea and biscuits. So now Alexis, <laughs> despite her conviction, how does Irene end up at Claire House? <laughs> there is like some pool that Claire has over Rini or excuse me, Irene, that just yeah. mm -hmm. she gives in when it's just the charisma that she has. Claire has and she pulls her in every time. She is sure. Irene is so sure she is not going to see her again. And every single time she gives in. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Claire is just so different from Irene. All the choices Claire makes or has made, Irene would have made the opposite choices. And because Irene's not completely satisfied with her own choices, she's really captivated by Claire and the lifestyle Claire has chose even though she despises it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Now, there's a woman named Gertrude Martin, who they all grew up with. Gertrude was a childhood friend who was also light skinned enough to pass. However, she married a white man who knew she was black and she fit in well with his family and he with hers. They have twin boys together, but would like to have a girl. However, Gertrude won't chance it. What if the girl came out with dark skin? This was also um, her fear when she was pregnant with her boys to her husband's ch chagrin. Ironically, her husband was like, you need to let all that colorism go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, sure he had matter. his own hangups. But he yeah, when it came to his children, he didn't care how dark they were. But she was like terrified of it. And she says aloud. Now she's at Claire's house with Irene. She says no one wants a dark child. She's assuming everyone in her company agrees. Mm -hmm. My sons are darker skinned, Irene says. Excuse me? Mm -hmm. yo, you, yo. What you got to say about that? Mm -hmm. So Irene's offended by Gertrude's careless words. And then Gertrude acts like someone shot her in the chest. She's like, oh, oh, but, oh um, <laughs> your husband... <laughs> And Claire assures the woman who has lost all the beauty she possessed when they were kids. My husband couldn't exactly pass either. So she let him know all my family are brown and I wanted him that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so right on time, John Bellew, who goes by Jack sometimes, John walks in. Claire's husband walks through the front door and greets his wife with a pet name he's reserved just for her. What is it, Alexis? What's the pet name John calls Claire? Nig. Hello, Nig, was his greeting to Claire. Gertrude, who had started slightly, settled back and looked covertly towards Irene, who had caught her lip between her teeth and sat gazing at husband and wife. It was hard to believe that even Claire Kendry would permit this ridiculing of her race by an outsider, though he chanced to be her husband. So he knew, then, that Claire was a Negro. From her talk the other day, Irene had understood that he didn't. 
But how rude, how positively insulting for him to address her in that way in the presence of guests. In Claire's eyes, as she presented her husband, was a queer gleam, a jeer, it might be. Irene couldn't define it. The mechanical professions that attend an introduction over, she inquired, Did you hear what Jack called me? Yes. (laughs) Yes, Gertrude answered, laughing with a dutiful eagerness. Irene didn't speak. Her gaze remained level on Claire's smiling face. The black eyes fluttered down. Tell them, dear, why you call me that. The man chuckled, crinkling up his eyes. Irene was compelled to acknowledge unpleasantly. He explained, Well, you see, it's like this. When we first married, she was as white as, as, well, as white as a lily. But I declare she's getting darker and darker. I tell her if she don't look out, she'll wake up one of these days and find she's turned into a nigger. He roared with laughter. Claire's ringing bell-like laugh joined his. Gertrude, after another uneasy shift in her seat, added her shrill one. Irene, who had been sitting with lips tightly compressed, cried out, That's good! and gave way to gales of laughter. She laughed and laughed and laughed. Tears ran down her cheeks. Her sides ached. Her throat hurt. She laughed on and on and on, long after the others had subsided. Until, catching sight of Claire's face, the need for a more quiet enjoyment of this priceless joke and for caution struck her. So the situation induces a nervous yet genuine laughter from Claire, who thinks everyone in the room is an idiot. She laughs uncontrollably at the irony that Claire's white husband, the most overtly racist man she's ever met, calls his wife, who he assumes to be white, Nick. And that he himself in this moment in his home is sitting in a room with three black women completely unawares. She is just laughing harder than anybody else in the room. She's like, y'all all dumb. <laughs> this is oh. one of those laughs where tears come out your eyes and she had tears coming out her eyes. All by herself and she mm-hmm. don't care. So Alexis, how did this pet name start between John and Claire? He said when he met her, she was white as a lily. But as she, the longer they've been together, she's gotten darker. Yeah. And he's like, I know you're no nigger, so it's all right. I just like Mm -hmm. calling you that. Yeah. It's cute. It's cute. Mm -hmm. It's cute. Okay. So Claire asks, "Um, so John, do you dislike Negroes? No. He responds, I hate them. Black slimy devils. This, to Claire, was not funny. Claire, I'm sorry, Tyreen. Is not funny. So Claire smiles and assures her husband that their guests do not want his thoughts on race to be spewed into the room. Like, mm-hmm. let's talk about something else. Mm-hmm. He looks at her, smiles and softens. He says, look how impact I am. I love my little nig. And then he apologizes, falling into a conversation well peppered with casual re- racism. And he stops sometimes to go, I'm so sorry, nig occasionally you know when he recognizes his own crudeness he apologizes to his wife oh sorry baby sorry my little nig this is happening Mm -hmm. Gertrude and Irene leave Claire's home in shock and more than a bit angry 
Gertrude doesn't understand the risk, but Irene seems to believe Claire's received everything she's ever wanted. But how dare she not warn him, forcing them to, um, or how dare she not warn them, Gertrude and Irene, because she forced them to sit there and be slapped by that man's words and presence. Mm -hmm. Never, ever would Irene condescend to Claire ever again. Never. Well, we know how that goes. (laughs) Never, (laughs) never. Never. Part three, risking it all. Time and seasons have passed. Irene is sitting at the table with her very good looking husband, Brian. Describe their marriage, please, Alexis. You know, I don't know. So the way I see it, Brian is a doctor and he don't like his job. He wanted to be doing something else. He wanted to be in South America working. Brazil. Okay. And instead he's working here with people. That's what I got. He don't want to do what he's doing here. He wants to be there. But Claire wants this life. She feels like her husband should be right here. This is the perfect place for them. And she don't need to go nowhere because she wants to be regular schmegler. And this is perfect for her to raise her sons in. Everybody's happy this way. Their marriage, he loves her. She can tell he loves her. It sounds like he loves her. He cares genuinely for her. But there is something there. I don't know quite what. So there's something eating away at that love, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever love originally started there. And he has a few interesting lines. Uh, At one time, he says, I hate sick people. And for real, it's out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. It's disgusting. You a whole doctor. (laughs) Yeah. So at the same, and she recognizes in him that that's just a manifestation of his desire to move to Brazil which I'm guessing is to be a doctor there. Right. So it's not that he hates sick people. He just hates helping people here in America. Mm-hmm. He wants to, he feels like um, there's a life out there that he would fit in where he, there'd be more sacrifice and more adventure. And he wants to be a part of that. His wife is, you know, diametrically opposed uh, to anything like that. Uh, well, anyway, that's them. A new letter arrives from Claire. She wants to see Irene again, of course. But remember what Irene said. I ain't never going to see Claire again, ever. So Irene has no intention of being the link between Claire and her, quote, poor, darker brethren. Brian is more understanding of Claire's position, but agrees it would be foolish for his wife to see her again. Um, So they go out on this drive. um, And hmm, it's weird because... Uh, there's this like game. So Irene's very much about games. They're not saying she's never saying what she feels when she's speaking to her husband. She's trying to manipulate him at all times, uh, which can be a habit that couples fall into. So she says things with ulterior motives. Um, He has this desire, like we said, to extend himself in some way. And she's like, why can't you just live a regular schmegular life? Um, So she brings up their children. They need more guidance. Um, He's like, what? They're fine. And so (laughs) she's like, (laughs) she's like, well, being in your position, you would know best. I mean, I know you wouldn't be wrong about your own children. You know, stuff like that is gross. Mm -hmm. Um, And this conversation, like, (laughs) 
they end it talking about what a joke sex is because she's like the the children that our children are spending right. time with are very ill-mannered, cruel. Um, and, and her husband is like, are you talking about sex? And she's like, well, frankly, yes, we don't want them learning things that we don't agree with, you know, and laughing at things that aren't funny and being crude. And he goes, well, if sex isn't a joke, what is it? Ooh. Her husband. That's what her so, husband has said. They Mm -hmm. left the house together, but she refuses to ride home with him. She wants to walk and to think. Meanwhile, more letters come from Claire, who is desperate to see Irene. Irene throws them all in the trash. However, one day she doesn't get a letter. Claire herself shows up to the house. Say what now? (laughs) She just showed up at her house. It's me. Yeah. No, ma'am. So. No, ma'am. <laughs> and she's like, hey, girl, hey, why you been ignoring all my letters? And Irene acts like a child that's been found doing something like very unkind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Caught in the act of cruelty. So they talk. Uh, one statement that they both share between each other is that nothing is crueler than being a mother. They both seem to agree there. Uh, The telephone rings. It's about an upcoming gala where there will be in attendance white and black intellectuals. And Claire must change her seat for a white writer who will be in attendance. Brian once joked that soon we won't be allowed into our own functions because of gentrification. (laughs) So this is a, a black foundation that the gala is for, but there'll be both white and black people there. So when she hangs up the phone, Irene then tells Claire all of this in a way that to me seems like bragging. She's trying to show Claire her life and how she's a part of society. But that backfires because Claire goes, great, I'll be there. (laughs) She said, oh, wait, wait, white people be in there like regular white people, not passing white people. Oh, I'm going to show up because I'm a fit right in. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So um, Claire is very hungry for black culture. And the fact that white people will be there means she won't stand out. Right. Yeah, you're right. There might be something. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So the day of the event, Irene goes downstairs and finds Claire and Brian have already made their introductions. They've even got a playful banner between banter between each other mm-hmm. at the dance at the at the dance claire is absorbed in her surroundings thrilled to be among black people again um the writer the white writer remember asks about her about claire because she seems to be from a fairy tale you know everyone keeps looking at her she's just so beautiful so charismatic although she has very little to say <laughs> And Irene, (laughs) Irene hints at Claire's true race, which the writer had not guessed. He's flabbergasted and intrigued even more. Mm -hmm. Him and Irene talk further about race and cultural attitudes regarding class and segregation. Meanwhile, Claire dances often with Brian. At the end of the event, Brian assures his wife, I'll take you home and then I'll take Claire home. However, however, Irene has already arranged for Claire's ride home. So she's like, don't worry about it, baby. So-and-so is going to take Claire home. Let's just go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Claire comes to their home frequently after that event. She's Mm -hmm. like the the new member of the family. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? (laughs) Don't you think Claire is beautiful? Irene asks her husband one day. No, he responds. 
She's like a bold faced lie. Suspicious. Um, <laughs> maybe she'd make a good looking white woman, but he prefers his women darker and with substance. Mm. Trying to stroke her ego there. The ways of Claire that nearly anger Irene only slightly amuse her husband. The women get closer and Claire confides in Irene, her friend. She says, to get the things I'd want, I'd hurt anybody. I'm not safe. It scares me. Yikes. This is casual conversation. Just regular smeggler. <laughs> that statement sticks in, um, in Irene's mind, uh, Claire's statement. As time passed, Brian's behavior became more perplexing. He'd be supremely content only to be frustrated the next moment. He was like a man waiting. But what was he waiting for? Part four, the problem with Claire. Irene awakens from a nap to find her husband standing over her. They should be getting ready for Hugh's party. Irene is late again, and her husband hates when she's late. Claire is downstairs, he says. She's here for the party. But wait, Irene didn't even invite Claire to Hugh's party. Say what now, huh? So who invited Claire, Alexis? Her husband, Brian. Brian did. He leaves the room, walks downstairs, and Irene begins to cry in their bedroom alone. Mm. At the party, Irene is like moving in a haze because she's piecing things together that are making her very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Claire never looked better and everyone wants to share her. It didn't matter, Irene thought, if no one knew. But it did matter. It mattered more than anything had ever mattered before. Because how could her husband invite a friend of hers to a party? How could he? How could she? How could they? Mm. Claire's husband was again stateside. Remember, he's like an international banker. Mm -hmm. So he's back in the States and Claire is gone with her husband. I think Pennsylvania is where they live. Um, Brian was again frustrated, sleeping in his room next to Irene's room. But it, it had to be because of something else, not because of that, Irene says. And then again, what was it? There needed to be a solution to the Claire problem. What if she outed Claire? What if Irene outed Claire as black? No, she'd never do that because then Claire would be free to marry. Marry who? Yo, husband. <laughs> She's that, like, oh, I can't uh-uh, do that. Uh-uh. She got to stay married. <laughs> she can't even go there in her mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what if Claire died? <laughs> what a strange thought. Moving on. Um. Out running errands with a darker skinned <laughs> friend, Claire runs into Jack. I remember that's John Bellu, Claire's husband. I'm sorry, Irene runs into Jack. So out running errands with a darker skinned friend, Irene is like arm in arm with this friend and she runs into Claire's husband. He holds out his hand to her, but then looked at the companion and understood immediately that this is a colored woman. He was shocked. And Irene acts like she has no idea who he is. (laughs) So he holding out her hand and she's just looking up at the sky like, "Mm mm-hmm. Do do do. And she tells her friend, we just came across the only person who's ever seen me pass. Mm. The, the only white man that's ever seen me pass. And her friend thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she, does. she does. She does. 
So Claire comes by the house later, but makes no mention of the encounter that Irene had with Jack, her husband, Claire's husband. Um, what will you do if Jack finds out? Irene asks. Easy. Claire responds. I'd live here. <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? Wait, huh? In Harlem, I mean. Around wait, my what? people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Honey, I'm not ready. Irene then dismisses Claire from the room and Claire quickly and easily goes downstairs to Brian. And Irene in this moment is now sure that everything has happened between her husband and Claire. Ooh. Everything. Irene is a million miles away, lost in thought in her mind. Is security a fallacy? Can security be achieved without the sacrifice of others? She is questioning her very existence, everything she thought she knew about herself, her family. Um, this woman calls, makes her question everything, calls into question everything. So they go to the party. They go to a party. And Irene is there, but she isn't there. Uh, she, people are talking to her and she going, uh-huh, Tuesday. And they like, what? I said, pass the uh, wine. She <laughs> like, sure, sure, uh, Thursday. So she ain't even, her mind isn't even there. All she can think about is this woman I can't get away from or of and my husband. And then her answer arrives at the door. Knock, knock. They had just found seats when the doorbell rang and Felice called over to him to go and answer it. In the next moment, Irene heard his voice in the hall, carelessly polite. Your wife? Sorry, I'm afraid you're wrong. Perhaps next. Then the roar of John Bellew's voice above all the other noises of the room. I'm not wrong. I've been to the Red Fields and I know she's with them. You'd better stand out of my way and save yourself trouble in the end. What is it, Dave? Felice ran out to the door, and so did Brian. Irene heard him saying, I'm Redfield. What the devil's the matter with you? But Bellew didn't heed him. He pushed past them all into the room and strode towards Claire. They all looked at her as she got up from her chair, backing a little from his approach. So you're a nigger, a darn dirty nigger. His voice was a snarl and a moan, an expression of rage and of pain. Everything was in confusion. The men had sprung forward. Felice had leapt between them and Bello. She said quickly, Careful, you're the only white man here. And the silver chill of her voice, as well as her words, was a warning. Claire stood at the window, as composed as if everyone were not staring at her in curiosity and wonder, as if the whole structure of her life were not lying in fragments before her. She seemed unaware of any danger or uncaring. There was even a faint smile on her full red lips and in her shining eyes. It was that smile that maddened Irene. She ran across the room, her terror tinged with ferocity, and laid a hand on Claire's bare arm. One thought possessed her. She couldn't have Claire Kendry cast aside by Bellew. She couldn't have her free. Before them stood John Bellew, speechless now in his hurt and anger. Beyond them, the little huddle of other people and Brian stepping out from among them. What happened next? Irene Redfield never afterwards allowed herself to remember. Never clearly. One moment, Claire had been there, 
a vital glowing thing, like a flame of red and gold. The next, she was gone. There was a gasp of horror, and above it, a sound, not quite human, like a beast in agony. Nig! My God, Nig! A frenzied rush of feet down long flights of stairs, the slamming of distant doors, voices. Irene stayed behind. She sat down and remained quite still, staring at a ridiculous Japanese print on the wall across the room. Gone. The soft white face, the bright hair, the disturbing scarlet mouth, the dreaming eyes, the caressing smile, the whole torturing loveliness that had been Claire Kendry. That beauty that had torn at Irene's placid life. Gone. The mocking, daring, the gallantry of her poise, the ringing bells of her laughter. Irene wasn't sorry. She was amazed. So what happened, Alexis? She fainted. Her husband pushed her? It seems only Irene knows what has happened. What she's done. Irene pushed Claire out the window. The end. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, she like is really now meticulously trying to decide because all the party guests have went outside, of course, to see if Claire is okay. Spoiler, she ain't. And so they're like, what happened? I did see, you know, her standing close to her husband. Did he push her? So Brian, or did she fall? Brian she thinks the husband pushed her. Mm-hmm. And that's good for Irene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Irene came downstairs with Brian's coat because she didn't want him to be get cold. <laughs> she didn't want him to be cold. So she brought his coat. The end. Okay, you ready for a, fi- a break and then yeah. final verdict? Let's take a break. <laughs> What were your final thoughts of Passing by Nella Larson? And would you recommend this book? What a book. What a book indeed, I tell you. I mean, let me just grab this book here. I enjoyed it. I gotta say, Mm -hmm. I think this woman wrote a fantastic story. Nella, right? Nella wrote Mm -hmm. a fantastic story. Um, The way she describes... Claire Kendry. She talks about the intricacies of passing, um, how Claire longs to be a part of the Negro community again. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. All of those things are just, I mean, she just does such, a, such an excellent job. And I just wanted so much for um, Rini to just be imagining it. <laughs> I wanted that to be true. but Because you don't want Claire to be dead because you're captivated by her. She is the catalyst for any activity in this boring life. Is no, that it? No, I, I, <laughs> I don't. I, want, I just want Rini to be wrong. I just want her to be so nervous. Not a murderer. <laughs> by um, 
Yeah, I just don't want her to be wrong. I don't I want her to be wrong that this is not then her mission to take her out as she thinks of <laughs> <laughs> like well, well maybe that she could just uh you know disappear. No, she can't disappear because she's going to come into your life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she can't run from her, but there is something about Claire that she cannot unload her. And it's just amazingly well written. Um, And the end, I like the end, the way the end is handled is perfect because. So what do you like about it? Yeah. Claire is like, (laughs) wait, not Claire. Let me get that line right quick. She said, what happened next? Irene Redfield never afterward allowed herself to remember. Never clearly. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you have allowed your character to just be like, I don't know what you think happened because I don't know. And and then you have the character, the other characters downstairs standing over her. Uh, Claire's dead body and they like well what do you think happened I don't know only Irene knows she was there and she gets mm-hmm. to hold that secret she gets to hold that secret because nobody thinks she did it because that angry husband came in who hates Negroes probably did mm-hmm. it so I really mm-hmm. love the way the story was handled um, the way we get to see inside of Rini's thoughts and how she feels about Claire and then how that just a lot of the summaries about her says she's fascinated with her and Mm -hmm. that fascination how that quickly turns towards the end so I really enjoyed the Mm -hmm. book I would definitely recommend it it's definitely one of those easy reads that you mentioned that I can actually get on board with so yes (laughs) it's a it's a great book and um I loved it How about you? Would you recommend it? What are your final thoughts? The word pass implies inactivity when in fact it requires constant proactive decision making and planning and uh, an abortion of sorts like your old your old life. You have to completely cut off. Um, So I love the way that's really dissected from a woman who knew what it meant to pass and and everything Mm. that came with it. Um, Irene and Claire are passing in their own way. Irene is an American. She she wants to stay in this country. And although part of her wants to just pass through life uh, with as little activity as possible, part of her is also very proud to be an American. She doesn't want to go help anyone else in any other right. country. She doesn't even want to face where her country is because of conversation about lynching with her black children comes up between her son and her husband and she cuts that conversation off she doesn't want him to know anything about that her husband's like but he's gonna grow up a black man so how are you gonna shield him from that what and are you being honest if if you live like that what how are you preparing your children for life so she's choosing to um forget some things yeah constantly yeah at one point i i think she said she didn't cl- she didn't pass but in actuality she does at her convenience at her convenience yeah and, and she's passing in a way that i totally get like i can't go in this store because i'm black well guess what i ain't black then i go home to my black family and my black friends and my white friends too i'm just gonna keep living my life mm-hmm. but the passing that claire is doing is when you 
Well, most people, when they have to abandon people, Claire didn't have anyone to abandon. Right. So she just chose the life that was most profitable for her mm-hmm. and went with people's assumptions. Whatever they assume. Sure. Where's the money? Everything was about having. She yep. was a very having woman. Very having. Um, what an expression. There's also a part where uh, Irene says she didn't give up Claire out of loyalty, not loyalty, not to Claire, to but race. to the black race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Like she, she couldn't do that to Claire because she couldn't do that to a fellow black person. But I think, too, Irene saw a lot of herself and Claire in the other side of the coin, who Irene would have been had she made completely different decisions. Mm-hmm. They both could have been in that position. Um, so Irene is also uh like a fraud in in a way that is deeper than Claire. So Claire is a fraud because she's hiding her mixed raceness, but um, that could kind of be forgiven due to her circumstances and the, the life she was born into. Whereas Irene is choosing to be like a fraud in a very bolder way she's not accepting people for who they are and she is determined to be basic (laughs) and and it doesn't matter the cost Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's gonna Mm -hmm. you know nag her husband to the ground if that's what it takes not to do anything exciting Mm -hmm. Mm um so anyway all these topics i feel like um irene was walking on thin ice when she met claire but claire wore the cleats Mm. So it was all going to come to, you know, some tragic end eventually. Um, But Claire sped all of that up and made Irene ask the questions she was avoiding asking. And so all of those layers in such a short book. Brilliant. And The Wedding, too, is another book. Yeah. Yeah. And these books are so short. Um, So I thought really well done. Very thought provoking. I did not expect there to be a murder. Um, no <laughs> twists. <laughs> Everything that happened in the book was a surprise to me. Uh, very well done. I do wish Nella would have uh, written more novels or novelettes because this was just brilliant. And I definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The way they just threw that murder in there or, you know, her falling off. I mean, I just. Like, what happened? She was just gone. They said one minute she was here and then she was gone. But her husband was right there, too. Oh, oh, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) She pushed her out that window is what happened. That's And actually, Kari, maybe she didn't push her out the window. It's still a possibility that the husband was very upset. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Girl, you had just thought, what if she was dead? I didn't know you had it in you. (laughs) (laughs) She said I went to touch her arm. And will people remember that I was holding her arm? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's still some room left to doubt. She could have just passed out because her husband was so enraged. But then I think that... um, Claire was such a um, composed woman that I don't know that her husband's shock would have um, caused her to pass out. So anyway, it's very interesting. I enjoyed the story very much. Mm, So you're going to suspend belief 
Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened. Yeah. We do know. But I like that. I like that more like <laughs> ambiguous ending. I like the way you think. I'm Maybe like... she didn't do it. Maybe we can also didn't. choose to believe along with Irene. Irene don't think she did it. Mm, it's, so it we can choose. <laughs> Folks fall out of windows every day. Every doggone day. <laughs> okay. That happens. Some survive. Okay. Many don't. <laughs> it happens. Ooh dark mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway Kari thank you so much for this book recommendation we love it it's it's great what are we reading next week Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Raul Dahl oh wonderful childhood favorite mm-hmm. okay well thank you for listening mm-hmm. to Lit Society we'll be here next week Thursday Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria that's me and Kari Herrera Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us, because we love you too. If you've we lived, love you. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something.